Natalia Rugueta and Ernesto Calvo have different disciplinary trainings and overall intellectual perspectives that often shape their thinking about a particular phenomena in different ways. Yet, over the past five years or so, they have managed to develop a most creative and productive partnership on research at the intersection of political communication, social media, and digital media more generally. How do they do this? About this and many other fascinating topics is this episode of El Café Latinx. What is the experience of being a Latinx or Latin American scholar in the field of communication and media studies? What are the main challenges and opportunities that come with our identities? These are the issues that we'll talk about in El Café Latinx, where some of the leading voices in the field will share their professional experiences. Hola, my name is Pablo Wojcicki. I teach at Northwestern University, where I hold the Hamid bin Khalif Al Thani Chair in Communication. Together with Mora Matassi, doctoral student at Northwestern and executive producer of this podcast, we invite you to discover the journeys of scholars who are at the cutting edge of creating knowledge about Latinx or Latin American communities across the Americas. These are our stories. Esas son nuestras historias. Estas son nuestras historias. Welcome to this new episode of El Café Latinx. We are blessed today, not with one, but two great scholars who will join us. Natalia Ruguete is a professor uh, at the Universidad Nacional de Quilmes and Universidad Austral, both in Argentina, and also a researcher at CONICET. Um, she obtained her BA at Universidad de Buenos Aires in Communication Studies and her PhD at Universidad Nacional de Quilmes in Social Sciences. She has been exceedingly prolific, is the author of three books, more than 50 articles, and is also an active and very prominent journalist in Argentina, working for Página 12 mostly. Um, and she is joined by Ernesto Calvo, um, who is professor uh, in the Department of Political Science and Government at the University of Maryland. Um, Ernesto was uh, you know, obtained uh, his BA at the Universidad de Buenos Aires uh, in political science in Argentina, his PhD at my employer, Northwestern University, um, although he left before I arrived, so we did not overlap here. Uh, his PhD was in political science. He is the author of five books, has three more in the works, uh, one of them also jointly with Natalia. Uh, two edited volumes, almost 50 journal articles, many awards. Uh, Natalia and Ernesto are a dynamic duo, have produced some of the most interesting and impactful work and in the intersection of political communication and social media, digital media studies. So it's a pleasure to have you both. Welcome to this new episode of El Café Latinx. Thank, Thank you, you very much. So my friends, um, how did it all begin? How was the start of the journey that led each of you to become a professor? Um, well, um, I, I started uh, as a professor, but in a high school in a faraway area of Buenos Aires province. Um, there I, I taught a lot of people for, for a long time. 
uh, and most of them had dropped out many years before. And, and I remember uh, something moving uh, that was that some of them received her certificate where, uh, with their grandchild. Uh, my impression is, um, I don't know, I, I, I think that I learned in, in that situation and in that context, how to teach people considering their needs and their possibilities. Um, well, now I'm teaching uh, different subjects related to political communication, mass media, uh, and social media in, in, in different universities in Argentina and in, in other countries too. But, but I always remember that experience as the best opportunity I had to learn how to teach, I think. Then in 2004, I started as a researcher in CONICET under the direction of Martin Becerra and Daniela Spiazu. Um, uh, in that opportunity, I, I wanted to connect political communication with political economy of communication. But for me, are two perspectives to see the same phenomenon. Um, I have been working in the uh, analysis of the media coverage basis, uh, based on agenda setting theory and framing theory, focusing um, at, at, at to now uh, on traditional media for, I don't know, 12 or 14 years, more or less. And then I met Ernesto. I, I don't know, I think that moment was a kind of turning point in my professional career. I, I usually say that uh, to Ernesto, um, because I'm very grateful to him. Um, for me, uh, when I met him, uh, I, I had the possibility of doing a theoretical triangulation between political communication and political science, for me, it's very, very important. And, and well, uh, now we are here sharing different findings on the relationship between politics, media, and public. Uh, for me, it's, uh, it's very important, very important. Um, but in general, I think that every important moment in my career were crossed by different kinds of tri triangulation. Uh, and some of which have derived in new theoretical uh, concepts as network activated frames, news by popular demands, uh, I don't know, different models that we, um, that uh, emerge from uh, an empirical effort we made around a series of events. So should I go? Of course. So, so I have no, I mean, it's it's funny. I think that my entire career I've been doing the same thing, but I've been doing the same thing since I was a kid, uh, but I'm not sure I plan on being a professor. So um, I think we get close to the things that traumatize us and politics is definitely something that traumatized me. And, and I reach communication at the end to some extent of just politics. So my family went in exile. So, you know, some of my earliest memories are going to visit my father in jail. Um, very, very complicated years when I was very young. Um, so I remember being in politics pretty much since I was born. 
I mean, my first, uh, one of my first memories is going to the demonstration uh, against the fall of Pinochet, sorry, against the fall of Allende and the coup by Pinochet in, in 73. So, um, so I think I've always known that I was going to be in politics. Uh, I think that the fact that I'm in academia is more of an accident uh, than, uh, than a decision. So my trajectory was, I've always been interested in politics and I've always been interested in science and those two things move together and I would jump from one to the other. Um, and I don't think that I ever expected to be in Washington or before that in Houston. I wanted to do my PhD with Habermas in Germany because I was doing philosophy, not statistics. So I don't think I've made a conscious decision uh, to get anywhere. I've been following problems, both political and academic, and I just reached wherever those took me. And I think that uh, one of you know, my most fruitful and interesting tutorials was, as, as Natalia was saying, when we met and started to talk about how to think of communication and politics. And I have a bit of ADD, uh, academic ADD, so I switch things because um, I find new things interesting and I just, you know, take that direction and move forward. So in the last uh, five years, we've been working on, I think, some of the most interesting issues and problems uh, that I have, I think, studied in my career, just pretty much like all of my life by chance, just uh, following problems and people that I find smart and interesting. So um, uh, kind of, you know, long lives with a lot of the tours. So it's kind of difficult to know where I started. All right. So now, if I can uh, follow up on the academic ADD, so there might have been a, a deficit of attention, but certainly it has been an abundance of productivity uh, uh, from both of you. So, so how do you make it work? I mean, lots of people, uh, you know, try to collaborate. Most collaborations are short-lived. There are very few that are long-lasting. And, and even fewer that are as productive and as innovative as yours, because it, it seems that there is an evolving research program. It's not just a piecemeal, let's do this, let's do that. But over the years, as, as one looks at your uh, record together, there is like a clear trajectory. So how's the kitchen of the collaboration? How's the behind the scenes? How does it work? I think the point of departure is we've never been in agreement when we start and we reach an agreement when we finish. I've always seen things from the voter. She's always seen things from above. So I always look from below. She always looks from above and somewhere we find an equilibrium. But it's, it's such a different approach. Coming from politics, voters and what's built from below, it's always been a matter of session. Every time that we got together, we had a, a, a very interesting conversation in the Café um, Cortázar in Argentina once that I think kind of set up the agenda of what we're going, where we're going to do in the next few years, precisely where I think that we battle off these different perspectives and we could not reach an agreement. You know, the notion of frames from above that she was coming from and the notion of voting from below that I was coming from, they were very incompatible when we started. And, and I think that the row and the columns uh, of the analysis that we analyze uh, uh, statistically, you know, users and media kind of reflect that uh, clash. So I think it's been very productive and very active because 
the concerns are similar, but the perspectives are completely at odds with each other when we started. And then they start to migrate to a, a, a point of dialogue and encounter that becomes way more productive. I, I remember um, speaking about uh, Ernesto. Remember the first time I I met him. I met him. Um, well, I make um, a, an interview for for uh, Pagina 12, and and the the, the following um, date, I say, okay, I want to know the interaction between media and public in social media. I remember that was my first. Um, my first question, and I remember uh, his face uh, looking uh, uh, to the to the um, to the other uh, person. Imagine that that question uh, statistically, empirically. I think that that is one of our imprint, our, uh, one of our mark in in this. Um, in this career. Um, and, and I don't know, now Ernesto coordinate laboratory, uh, I coordinate a media observatory in Universidad Nacional de Quilmes. Uh, both of us uh, study similar phenomena or, 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 or not ex exclusively, but with different theoretical perspective. Um, I think this, this way of seeing the same events are complementary. And, and they are uh, also our singular mark uh, we imprint in, as, as the two sides of the same, as the same phenomena. And I think that, um, that kind of complementation, you can find that uh, in our book as, as, a, as, a, as a synthesis of that complementation. So, so how many years ago was that first conversation? Five years? Six. The contestant? No, the contestant was four years ago. In 2017? Uh, okay. 2016, um, because we started with Tarifaso. Yes. Which was the first the first years of uh, yes. uh, government of uh, Mauricio Macri. Uh, okay. Now, you have complementary perspectives. Um, before that, you didn't know each other personally before then, did you? No. No, okay. So you had complementary perspectives and you did not know each other a lot as people, let alone as, as researchers. How, how, how was the process of not only making different but complementary perspectives coalesce, but of trying to figure out how to work together, I'm assuming not always in the same you know, country, right? Because, you know, most of the year you live in different countries, right? Um, so what, what have you learned, first of all, how was for you? And then what have you learned about this that you think could be helpful for other researchers trying to start and grow collaborations of this kind? Huh, that's an interesting question. Um, 
Um, I think that the most productive moments of this collaboration started with an impasse. You know, there's a moment in which I think with reviewers happened the same thing. You know, when we receive reviews from any journal, the first impulse is to to be not happy, you know, to be a bit upset, to think, you know, that they didn't understand. And I always have to remind me that whenever you receive a review, your demeanor should always see, thank you, sir, may I have another? Thank you, sir, may I have another? And if you cannot accommodate the fact that they didn't understand what you were talking about, then you're you're in the wrong. I mean, even if, if they're terrible, because there is something that you didn't show or that you didn't understand or that you couldn't convey in the way that it would communicate what you want. So either you couldn't say what you wanted to or you made a mistake. So, so the first reaction to a lot of the things that uh, Natalia says are, are, are like, I don't agree with that, like with a reviewer. And uh, that forces you to think uh, uh, very, I mean, things that you would think that are commonsensical suddenly are put on the spot. And, and that I think is, is very interesting. And so I think that what makes this relationship very productive is that we are in a way a bit of a reviewer of each other. We, we don't really go in the same way. And, and when we agree, uh, it works very well. And it's funny, I mean, we just finished an article and, and she was putting comments on the border and things that she thinks that she, she needed to. And there were a couple of comments and I was not happy, I was angry. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I think that that's generally there's a point in which there's some comments that I say, no, that's not what I'm trying. So, um, so yeah, we, we, I think that what's been productive is that generally, you don't find people that you really like that you think they're very smart, and that you're willing to accept that they have a very different interpretation of what you're doing, and that maybe that interpretation is not wrong. And you're willing to not compromise, you're willing to find a solution. I would say, and I don't think that we're giving up on our, you know, principal points. I think that that's what that's what makes it a bit creative, and I think that's that's why I think we're finding things that are interesting. We try to fix something, to find a solution that that provides both of us with the answer that we want, even though we started with a different assumption. So I think there's little compromise, and and you know she sometimes gets mad at me because I I have a bit of an economist demeanor when when she starts to speak and I don't agree I don't wait for her to finish I start to bombard with questions and she hates that and I I, I can sympathize but I learn by probing and uh, so even the styles are very different. I I. I, I a lot of images come to my mind. Um, I remember when when we are uh, finishing our book. Um, I, I told Ernesto I'm I'm very moved uh, because of the book, and and he told me in in these different situations um, were were the, the the most important thing is the moment what we feel in that different moments, the feelings. And, and that's right. Um, what, is, uh, what, uh, what I think uh, is um, we argue, discuss a lot. I, I am exhausted when I discuss about um, empirical efforts and theory with Ernesto. But always uh, what is permanent is the, the values, the human values. 
Um, for me, that is more important, even more important, and now we are uh, working with Tiago Ventura together. Uh, but in fact, uh, I think for me, that is the most important uh, part of my, my professional career with everybody. With people are I informing, are I um, um, teaching, uh, are I sharing, are I uh, with, with other people I'm learning. And now I'm, I'm sharing a different project with people who teach me and with people I teach. Uh, and always the values uh, are permanent and, and are the most important feature of the of a project of the of a professional career. We have a troll-free zone. <laughs> uh, that's interesting. We have uh, gotten into heated arguments, but I think that we always avoided uh, uh, crossing a line in which you are not respecting the other person. Uh, absolutely. And Tiago Ventura, who's uh, also our co-author, as, as uh, Natalia was saying, it's an amazing human being. Uh, he's very bright. And interestingly enough, he's also different than the two of us. So he's a bit more of a purist in methods. So I have a different kind of arguments with him. <laughs> so, and I think that also is productive. Um, you know, someone that is very concerned um, that uh, identification is done in a particular way and we do have our fights as well uh, so uh, working in teams was not usually in social science and communication political science i actually think that it makes a big difference uh, it prevents um endogamy you know even uh, your own it, it prevents ideas from coming out with piggy tails you know it, it allows for genetic variations in ideas uh, and if the teams is good, if it's not just a surrogate of one person, but it's actually a team that is, um, you know, dividing labor and arguing effectively about things that they don't agree. Uh, I think teams have very clear advantages in the social sciences and how things are being produced. Absolutely. Um, now, one thing about which both of you seem to converge strongly is the role of politics in your lives, and in particular, what in, in, in English speaking language, you would say progressive politics, right, and progressive causes. Um, one of the ways in which this seems to manifest in your research output is that you tend to choose empirical topics that uh, have significant political salience, you know, they have a lot of political currency in the moment, yet, um, you are able to look at them to probe a particular theoretical issue or to advance a particular methodological strategy. So how do you choose your topics? And how, because there are many potential topics of you know, you know, political currency or salience. And how do you figure out what that is a topic of, theoretically, methodologically, or both? I think, I mean, uh, Natalia just gave me a go ahead first, so I'll start. Um, everything that we do has, has three, three different uses. And, and we, we put that to the work in the surveys. When we design a survey, uh, no survey has questions that are a waste. 
And no survey are just done uh, to measure one thing. We have very different things and we, we think very, very substantively on how things feed from each other, both across effects, you know, contamination in a survey, but also on, on what we can get. So, for example, when, when we were putting uh, surveys in the field last year, uh, we had a, a set of the science and COVID hit. So there is no way that we were going to use the old questions. So, so we stopped the service before it went to the field. We took a week, we redesigned the same kind of theoretical issues that we were interested in, uh, but we catered that to something that was substantively important. And we think, I think that we agree in that everything that is important um, can be used to think about important problems which doesn't mean that you can study any problem with any technique or any technology. You need to make sure that the things are, that you use the instruments that you need to answer the questions that you want. Uh, but I would say that we only look at things that are substantively relevant and theoretically relevant. And, um, and when COVID hit, we thought hard um, about how to integrate uh, our analysis of activation with things that make sense uh, uh, to address the pandemics. And we knew that risk perceptions, you know, uh, were critical, and we therefore went to, you know, Kahneman, Tversky, and and thought how we can integrate the um, the um, literature on risk and framing uh, from Kahneman and Tversky to thinking about both polarization and partisanship in the pandemics. So I, I think that our effort has always been that we try to make sure that everything can be used and reused and that it has a purpose that connects with problems that are important today. And, um, and we've been very fortunate in getting some resources and support to, to be able to field the things that we want. And we do have this structure to collect large amounts of data. So, so you're saying that we focus on important things, but you know, last year I collected 1.5 billion tweets from the election in the US. So what you see, on our analysis tend to be a fraction of what we collect precisely because we want things that do a lot of very different, uh, you know, cover a lot of different corners. Uh, Pablo, you remember um, um, that person, uh, that, that, that um, comic that is uh, Boluda Total here in Argentina from Alberti? Okay, uh, a program calls uh, Todo por Dos Pesos and, and one of them are Boluda Total. Uh, well, I, I am a theoretical total. Um, when, when I speak with Ernesto, I, I say, okay, I am theoretical total. Um, why, why, why I'm saying that? Because I remember when we, um, uh, when, when we were starting the, the, the IB, IDB uh, research, Ernesto uh, asked me, okay, tell me one thing about framing, one very, very, very uh, important, very targeted uh, things. And I, I say, I remember framing of decision from uh, Tversky Kahneman. And a, a, grand part, a, a, a great part of, the, of that uh, research uh, was crossed by the framing of decision. And it was very interesting because uh, we are very, very uh, powerful with, uh, with COVID, uh, the framing of decision, because you have to uh, decide between death or, or life. 
that is the that is the dynamic between Ernesto uh, and me. But but I, I want to say another thing uh, because you you mentioned politics and I think I I always think uh, in in uh, in policies when I'm I, I'm in project in a comprehensive uh, way. Um, Politics is not only politician, is not only a campaign, is not only, it's, it's also, it's, it's every important situation, it's, it's, it's every event and social events are, are uh, political events too. Um, and, and I remember a, a very important project uh, for me, um, I, I coordinate with uh, Martin Becerra and Gabriela Spiazzu, uh, about um, news about crime, uh, insecurity, and violence, um, and for me that was a very, very, uh, um, very political uh, project uh, as as we um, propose, as we concentrate on that on that uh, project. Um, that that experience was very, very interesting because. Um, we, we, we try to set out to, to, to understand different factors that act in the news uh, production circuit uh, that cross journalistic routines, uh, news content, and, and the reception of this kind of news in TV audience. And, and I remember uh, an, an interesting find that was um, that TV usually makes a singular configuration of victim and victimizer. And it's very important for me that because uh, the, the media identification of the offenders, for instance, that, was, that does not always coincide with the person who is the object of the violent action outside the media scene. So, so TV scene is, is, is another reality um, and, and it's very, very important to think how we, um, how we um, configure the incrimination of who is guilty and who is not guilty, independently of who is dead or who is, uh, I don't know, uh, what, is, what is more important, the, the crime against property or the death of poor or mar marginalized people? For me, it's, um, it's, it's very political uh, way of seeing reality. Okay, that's, that's very interesting. So let me build on that and talk about the politics of knowledge and the politics of science as a practice, right? Social science is a science. Um, in in the, the Southern hemisphere, you know, say in, in South America, um, the idea that social science is outside of the domain of politics is almost unthinkable. Um, in the ones in the US and to a certain degree in Canada and other parts of the so-called global north, we are trained to try to produce knowledge outside of politics, right? Um, how do you manage, right? How do you combine uh, these perspectives, because you write 
for both Spanish-speaking audiences you publish in Spanish, where that, you know, you can sort of embed more of a politics of science into the argument, but you also, you know, have been very successful publishing at the top venues in English, where you have to assume a stance of neutrality, right? Now there's been a, some change in, in, in the US and other countries, but still that continues to be the case. So how do you, given where you come from historically as individuals, as the regions of the world in which you grow up and, and where you practice your science and where you try to publish, how do you navigate that tension related to the politics of knowledge production? So funny enough, we are lucky that we live in a time in which facts are progressive. <laughs> it would be terrible to live in an age in which facts are conservative. Um, I, I, I truly believe that one cannot have good um, political consequences, good political effects, that one cannot um, use science for a good political purpose if one does not respect that the results of science are the results of science and that they tell you a lot of times what you don't want to hear. So um, so we are, uh, I would say that uh, we are uh, um, very progressive on the topics we choose. Uh, I think that we uh, think that there are concerns that are important that need to be addressed. Uh, and, but uh, we are very aggressive on testing what we do, and and I, I am particularly aggressive with the data. I I um, I don't like torturing data. I need the data to tell me exactly what it has to say. And and in political science, I think that it has become more of a norm that you know that someone is going to come and it's going to test what you do, and someone is going to analyze the same data that you're analyzing. Getting one good result out of twenty is not a good option. You need to have nineteen results that evaluate the same thing out of twenty. So I would say that. Yeah, we, we invest heavily on, on topics that are important, uh, but then I think that we are a bit a bit of a scientificist crowd on this. And I, I actually think it's a, it's a good compromise. You don't want your research result to be expressing your political ideas. You want your research result to be useful and to serve um, things that are um, desirable because the actual outcomes are bulletproof and the data shows what you're showing and you are not manipulating the data and you're not manipulating the outcome. Uh, but again, I, I do think that um, once uh, you establish what are your principles, then you run the, the analysis and you get what you get. Uh, and if you think that what you got is truly toxic, you are uh, you know, allowed to say, I'm not going to be communicating this information. I don't think we've ever done that, but I, I can understand that as something that could happen. Uh, but I, I think that we've been uh, very strict on making sure that, that what we do is, is by the book in, in the best possible way of saying that. Now, funny enough, I, I, my mother was a psychoanalyst, relatively, you know, very well known, Sylvia Bleichmann. And she had a, a, a journal, was called Trabajo de Psicoanalysis. And she would say, you know, you need to put theories to work. We do have very different perspectives. I think Natalia respects more theory than I do. For me, a theory is only as good as, you know, how you can test it and how much of a punch, you, you know, how much punches, how many punches it can resist. She's more respectful of prior knowledge. 
so part of the arguments that we have oftentimes that she wants things to be cited and noted and written down. And I'm like, I'm not sure we need that. Uh, so we have fights at every level on that regard. Natalia, you want to add to that? Oh, well, I, I, I imagine myself like this. Um, I am a theoretical total, <laughs> uh, but uh, that, is, uh, that is our complementation too. We fight a lot, uh, but um, I, I don't know, the, the result of this kind of fighting are very creative and very, um, uh, very valuable in a, in a human sense. Okay. So now thinking about, um, you know, your, your trajectory individually and your uh, program of research uh, together over the past half decade, um, if, you had, if each of you had magical powers and, and could be granted one wish about how you'd like the study of political communication, social media, voting um, to change, what would you wish for? Um, uh, let me think. Um, I, I, for me, uh, we need, um, in, in one sense, we need to, to widen our spectrum um, with more kind of uh, interdisciplinary projects, especially in Argentina. And obviously, uh, we need more investment to implement studies that analyze complex phenomena uh, which exceed mass media studies. Um, and, and, and I think we must see that uh, political and social events in a multidimensional uh, cases of studies. But, but on, on the other hand, uh, if I... Uh, if I imagine myself as a professor, um, I think I try to invert the teaching scenario. Um, to, to put it more, more clearly, um, I, I, I would start, for instance, I would start by asking students uh, to, share, to share with us what they already know about media and communication. What they know. And why? Because I'm, I'm convinced that we need to know much more about this, this point. And for me, this is a fundamental point. Um, because I think of that possibility as the, the best starting point to train people and to, sh and to share with other people uh, project and, and wherever, so that they can think of communication as a way of influencing public space. Huh? For me, for me, that would be an, a very important point. So, uh, there's a joke, an old joke at this point, because I'm old. Uh, but an old joke, there was a bookstore halfway between MIT and Harvard. And there was outside of the bookstore, this uh, cart with books, and it says every book five bucks. So this student arrives and sees the books and starts to, you know, check a few of them and, you know, picks a couple and goes inside and says, you know, how much is it? And the guy says, are you from Harvard and do not know how to count or from MIT and do not know how to read? 
So uh, if I could choose, I would hope that people that not know how to count, but read, learn to count. And the people that know how to read, but not to count, learn, sorry. And the people that know how to count and not to read, learn to read. Um, I think that we've been uh, having people that are extremely good theoreticians. In Argentina, I, I, the training, the humanistic training is absolutely fantastic but our technical skills lag so far behind. And the people that have incredibly assets on technical skills, they just don't read. They are not interested. They look for general questions without knowing the environment, without knowing how you know what's happening in communication, what's happening in politics, without being curious. So you do need people that learn what the other one is, is doing. I do think that there is a division of labor. You don't have to be the best statistician, but you need to learn some. And you don't have to be the best uh, you know, writer and the best uh, scholar, a uh, humanistic scholar, but you do need a humanistic training. Um, I think that the US is specializing in the counting and Argentina in the reading and uh, Argentina needs more counting and the US needs more reading. So, um, so I think that uh, there is something to be said for teams, but also people need to do the legwork of learning what they don't know. All right. Couldn't think of a better way to end this fascinating conversation. Thank you very much, Natalia. Thank you, Ernesto. Thank you to our listeners for staying with us uh, through the end. And I invite everybody to tune in next week for the new episode of El Café Latinx. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank, Thank you for inviting El Café Latinx is a production of the Center for Latinx Digital Media in the Department of Communication Studies at Northwestern University. I am Pablo Wojcikowski, your host, and I'm joined by executive producer Mora Matassi.